this is Was That Good For You, a podcast all about sex and relationships. We cover everything from kinks to long-distance dating and everything in between. Today's guest is Gabriella. Hi, Gabriella. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Would you mind telling um, the listeners a little bit about like your work and what you do? Yes, of course. So I am a full-time witch. I am the author of three books. My latest just came out and it's a guided journal called Embody Our Magic, Um, uh, a guided journal for the modern witch. And I'm also the author of Inner Witch and Bewitching the Elements. I write a lot about witchcraft and the divine feminine and how glamour and sexuality are woven into both of these things. I have a column with High Times Magazine called The High Priestess, where I talk about magic and ritual and cannabis and all the ways those intersect. Um, and I have also, I'm also a freelance writer, and I've written a bunch of places off the inter- around the internet, including Nylon Magazine, Vogue International, Allure, ID. Um, and yeah, my work is really rooted in self-expression and sexual expression. And um, I've definitely been reading a lot more about kink and BDSM as a form of sex magic into my work. So um, I have a Patreon where I talk about that. And I also write ritual guides for the full moon, the new moon and the holidays of the witch. So yeah, it's pretty much what I do right now. I love that. I have a a question that may be dumb. So forgive me. Um, I've noticed in a lot of your work and like on your website and stuff, magic is spelled with a CK. Yes. Is that like different? Is that like than the usual spelling with just the C? So that's, that was, that adding the K to magic was done by the occultist Aleister Crowley. Um, And it's really, not everybody uses it. It's really just used as a distinction between like sleight of hand magic and like stage magicians and then like esoteric occult ceremonial magic and that kind of thing. So that's, that's why I use it. I like how it looks. I like having that distinction, but I think like, 99% of the time, if we're talking about magic, like we're not going to be talking about, you know, like a stage magician, unless you're at the magic castle or something, which I know you're we're in LA. So who knows? Um, But I just do it because I like how it looks. And I just like that kind of like addition to the word. I like the way it looks too. It's actually so uh, random and funny. But my my ex-boyfriend who I dated for four years was a literal full-time magician. I love M-A-G-I-C, that. So it's, I love that. Yeah. One of I my, talk like, about magic with the C a lot in my – more than like the average person. That's so funny. Okay. Well, see, that's good to know. One of my best friends, old roommates, was a magician at the Magic Castle. So I'm like, yeah, how do, having to use the K is actually kind of helpful in that case. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so when did you first become interested in witchcraft and magic? Is this something you've been like dabbling in your whole life or – um, it's been a, a while. So I identify, I've identified as a practicing witch since I was about 12 years old. I'm 26 now. So okay. it's been a hot minute. I've always been really um, interested in the esoteric and the unknown. And my mom is, she doesn't really use the word witch, but she has always been into like different forms of energy work, like was doing like not Reiki, but like yoga and working with crystals and breath work and meditation, like all of that stuff since before I was born. And I was just, I grew up like seeing her altars and just being aware of that. And since I was like a little, little toddler, I have been very connected to like, you know, those, the the unseen really like, 
Um, and my dad is a rabbi in the reform movement of Judaism, and he really just helped foster this curiosity about God and religion and death. So I grew up, I mean, I grew up going to temple almost every week and I grew yeah. up like, I grew up Jewish and that's, you know, my background, my whatever, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word right now, but, um, like my heritage and my culture and all that stuff, even though I don't identify as Jewish religiously anymore, but, um, I always had this just like yearning to know about magic and fairies and all this stuff. And when I was in sixth grade, I was gifted a deck of fairy oracle cards and I became obsessed with them. And I had gone to Salem, Massachusetts on Halloween a few years before that and like seen a ritual and learned about witchcraft. And when I got this um, deck, it led me to a book called A Witch's Guide to Fairy Folk. And it was just like an an instant kind of recog- like recognition that yeah. I had found a part of myself. And even as like a 12 year old, like I, I knew that I was a witch and I mean, my parents didn't really understand it, which it's, I totally get, but yeah, I had to like go through my bat mitzvah process knowing that I was pagan and yeah, it wasn't a phase. I'm still, still a pagan witch. So, you know, sometimes yeah. we just know. So was that something that was like, um, I guess, difficult for, it doesn't seem like it probably would have been difficult for your mom, but it was something that was kind of difficult for your dad to like accept that like this wasn't a phase and it was something that like was very deeply rooted in you? Um, Interestingly enough, it was the opposite. So my dad is, both of my parents, my dad was born in Israel and my mom was born in Mexico City and that where she's part of it, she was from the Jewish community in Mexico City. And like, even though Mexico is like, there is such like magic there. Like people are very interested in astrology and there's like a lot of folk magic and like it's really woven into like the the culture, but it is still a very like Catholic country. And it's still, there's, it's like very traditional in a lot of ways that I don't think like my dad moved to the US when he was nine in California. Like it's very different. Like my mom, even though she was, you know, been working with these spiritual modalities for a long time like she had a lot of trouble accepting the fact that like I used the word witch and that's what I identified with right because there's this kind of stigma around brujeria in Mexico and like it is something that even though people practice they don't necessarily always use that name it has a more negative association definitely Um, and she grew up in the she grew up orthodox so she grew up very very traditional Jew Jewish um upbringing whereas my dad um he his parents were Jewish, but he didn't really practice it as as much as my mom. Like I don't really think they went to synagogue very often. So he actually had a lot more. Um, he was a lot more accepting earlier on, but now they're both very supportive. So I'm very lucky. Right. I feel like once you're able to like explain to them that it's something that is not going to like, especially living in LA, it's not going to like affect you day to day. Like you've you've been able to like make money off of it and like you're a published author. So I think at that point with parents, with like anything that's slightly like not like the norm, they, they eventually are like, okay, I guess you just do your thing. (laughs) Exactly. And like, I, I really do think my first book, they were like, oh, like she knows what she's talking about. She's legit. And it's funny because like their biggest worries for me was that like, being too sexual online or like posting too many like nudies um talking about witchcraft and swearing we're all gonna like ruin my career when it's like the three things that have literally made 
my career around. So, you know, Same, like, yeah. <laughs> I know you get it. I can, I can totally imagine that your parents are like, why are you doing this? Like, because I meant to be doing it, mom and dad. Exactly. Like, but it's, it's interesting that you talk about like brujeria and all that because I'm Cuban and born and raised beautiful. in Miami. So oh, nice. uh, kind of similar to what you were explaining with mm-hmm. Mexico City, I feel like Cuba is the same way in the sense that it's like this weird mix of Christianity yeah. and like this like old Caribbean witchcraft, which yeah. obviously turns into Santeria. Yeah. Um, but it's like a huge thing in Miami and like everybody always makes jokes about like, you know, the chickens in the street and all that stuff. But yeah. it's it, it's something that's always really really fascinated me and Mm -hmm. this is obviously on like a more on like a comedy level but do you watch pen 15 okay i've seen the first season i haven't seen the second season yet but i need to watch the second so there i just binged the second season and there's an episode that's all about uh the two main characters like you know they get like their very first like book of spells and like intrigue and it's 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 obviously it's comedy and it's like whatever but it's it's one of those things where I feel like the thing I love about that show is that they hit these memories that yep. like every single buddy, yep. every single like person, especially yep. every young woman in the world has, even if you like forgot about them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them for me. It's like, I feel like every woman when they were a young girl, like, and obviously for some people it sticks like with you, but every female is like, I feel like interested on some mm-hmm. level in witchcraft. Like every girl that I know like at one point in their life has like gone through like a phase where they like wanted to be a witch or they like felt that power or whatever the case is. So it's interesting to me that like, I feel like it's a very feminine thing that every woman has this like interest, even if it's really casual and really young in witchcraft. Absolutely. First off, I also love that they did an episode about that because I definitely remember being like, 12 or 13 at like this girl's house like watching charmed with like a spell book i bought at barnes and noble so i remember that like that was that was the beginning of many of our witch journeys and um i just it's such a specific like millennial thing i feel like to like understand that show because like i don't really think teenagers like or gen z or whatever like have awkward phases anymore because they have the internet but like definitely yeah, I'm like, we weren't doing TikTok dances. We were doing, like, Cotton Eye Joe and stuff in my school. And it's yeah. so awkward. But, um, yeah, I definitely feel like there is um, there's a moment when you're, like, 12 or 13 where you're able to kind of tap into this liminal energy. This, like, you know, I think part of the reason that I felt so, like, going through my bat mitzvah process knowing I was a witch was one of the most difficult things I had done, like, at that yeah. time. I had a really, an all in a lot of ways very easy like great childhood but that was it was hard my dad was definitely like a lot harder on my sister and I as the rabbi because he's our dad and um I I knew I just knew that that wasn't what I believed in and you know it's like in almost every single culture or religion there is a coming of age ceremony when women and men are like 12 or 13 and for women especially it's like going through this process or even if you know like doesn't matter if you don't have a nice woman or non-binary like if you bleed and you have your period it's like this it's this event and it you know it's uh it marks a rite of passage and like I didn't have any connection to like goddess or the divine feminine when I was like through Judaism I discovered the goddess and different faces of the goddess as I was discovering witchcraft and was able to connect with them but like you know the number 13 which is classically when you go through your bat mitzvah bar mitzvah is the number of the goddess it's the number of full moons in the year it's the amount of times those of us who bleed menstruate each year yeah. and like 
if I had been aware of the feminine aspect of this like rite of passage that I was going through, I think it would have been really different. And I've been really, it would have been something that I've actually been able to connect with. And like, it's just, yeah, I, I think that so many of us have this innate recognition that like we're going through this process of, of transformation. And like, because as 12 or 13 year olds, we're in that liminal space, that between space from like that threshold from adulthood and childhood or childhood to adulthood, rather, we're able to tap into this magic because like you know the days like the equinoxes or the solstices or the cross quarter days which are the days between are sacred because they lie between seasons or they lie in the in the middle part of the season and it's it's a time of transition and being that age and feeling that and being so in that space like unlike any other time in your adult life really it's like yeah we're just so much more I feel like able to connect with magic because it is you know, whether we recognize it or not is a magical time. I absolutely agree. I feel like although we're like riddled with insecurity and Mm -hmm. all this stuff, there's also this, this side of you that hasn't been like tainted by the world yet. And, and I, I feel the same way. Again, I like, I I dabbled in it as a kid very casually, but I remember feeling very powerful. I remember like meditating and like doing these things that I like didn't pick up again until I was literally in my twenties. But like Mm -hmm. in that moment, it felt very powerful and very, and I think that having, you know, even if it's something that you do and then you let go, it's like, if it's meant for you, it will come to you. And if it's meant for you, like you'll come back to it. And like having that connection at that age, even if it's, you know, been over a decade, it like, it can still help you tap into like that sense of magic because it can bring you into that space. And I think that's super powerful too. It's like, we're always going through these states of transition, like, especially right now where we're in like the most liminal state that I think our world has ever been in since, you know, we've been alive. So having those bridges to like, the like parts of our own magic that we may not feel so connected to like helps us remember that it's still there. Absolutely. And you, you, you touched on it a, uh, a little bit earlier, but just, um, I mean, from my own curiosity as well, mm-hmm. what exactly is like the goddess and divine feminine? Ooh, that's a good question. So to me, goddess and divine feminine is the aspect of divinity to me, I see it as an aspect of a divinity, though. This is, you know, this is one of those questions that, like, every single person you ask is going to tell you a different thing. Okay. Um, I, the goddess to me is the creative, intuitive life force of the universe that is always transforming, that is, like, a magical, energetic current that we have access to. Like, I don't really like to label the goddess versus like God as necessarily like the female aspect of the divine versus the male aspect. I think that those words, while helping us kind of understand these, this energy, it can be really limiting, especially the people who like work with goddesses or the goddess who aren't women or who are non-binary, who trans or whatever. Um, So to me, the way that I see goddess is I see it as the receptive energy that we all have access to that is not necessarily like the analytical mind it's not the aspect of the divine that is like able to be explained but it's the subtle kind of intuitive understanding the wisdom of experience so the way that I work with goddess is I see her as a manifestation both of love and of creation and destruction and like the ability to 
to see the cycles of life, death, rebirth as one as one thing, not as different things, but as different phases of the same energy. So to me, the goddess is the earth. She is our ability to create um, versus like God or the divine masculine, which to me is like a lot more structure, a lot more active, a lot more yang energy. Um, whereas the goddess is yin, she's receptive. She is well, like I, I, I like to think about it kind of like with the tarot, with the emperor, emperor and the empress tarot card, where the emperor is the structure and he's the riverbank, and then the empress is the water that flows through the riverbank. So you know, it's one of those things where like you kind of have to have something else to, um, or it's easier sometimes to explain the goddess in relation to the god. But to me, it's just like the lifeblood, the creative energy of the universe, the spiritual energy of the universe. And um, yeah, the the energy that every single person, regardless of their gender, has within them. So uh, your course that you have working with the Divine Feminine, is that just like tapping into that energy? Yeah. So I'm actually writing my next book on goddesses, which will be oh, okay. out in, I'm turning it in in May and then it'll be out the following spring. Um, and the course is, it, I talk about the goddess in mythology. I talk about the way that we can connect with goddess and how she represents initiation ceremonies and transformation and energy consciousness. Um, I give examples of different goddesses from around the world and how to work with them. So um, the goddess Venus or Aphrodite is the Roman or Aphrodite is the Greek. Venus is the Roman goddess of love. Um, Fridays are ruled by the planet and by the goddess Venus. I talk about the goddess Hecate, who is also a Greek goddess of witchcraft and necromancy. I talk about different dark goddesses like Lilith who is um, Adam's first wife and who is a goddess of um, subversion and independence. I talk about, who else do I talk about? Kuan Yin, who is an Eastern goddess of compassion, a bodhisattva who is able to be enlightened and become Buddha, become a Buddha, become an enlightened one, but chose to stay on earth to grant the wishes of women and children. So I give different faces of the goddess. And then I also explain how to begin working with the goddess and forming a relationship with the goddess, which is a kind of like a, at least for me, it's like the foundational aspect of my magical practice, but that's definitely not true of every witch or every practitioner. But I talk about creating rituals with her and creating devotional practices, which is just a daily ritual that you do for however many days as a way to kind of form this relationship with her. So um, in the book, I'll be talking a lot more about the different faces, faces of the goddess, the goddess of the earth, of protection and healing, goddesses of love, the dark goddess, which I think is the shadow aspect of the divine feminine that um, every single goddess has, I think. And the way that I see it, the the universe source is whatever it is, whatever like the divine is, I personally don't understand it. I think that it is something that is a lot bigger than the human mind can comprehend. Yeah. And to comprehend that what we what humans do is we personify things, we break them down into faces that we under or pieces that we understand. So there's, you know, thousands and thousands of different goddesses, maybe even millions of different goddesses. But 
I see them as fractals of this great goddess. And I see the great goddess as a piece of source, a piece of the divine. Um, So because the great goddess, the goddess of life and death and rebirth, has all of these different aspects, which you can kind of think of like the moon and all her phases, you know, the moon is light and it's dark, it's ever changing. Um, You know, nature itself like is beautiful, but it can also cause destruction, right? Like the ocean can be so serene and beautiful, but then it can also cause tsunamis and it can drown people. And like, we don't really label that as evil. It just is what nature is. And I think in the same way, like when we think of the goddess, like dark goddesses, these goddesses of subversion or of death. Um, I think every goddess has the ability to be a dark goddess because there is this shadow aspect that we all have. Like the goddess, because the great goddess or this of source is also the goddess of the earth, the creator of life and death. That these individual goddesses also have this ability to have that kind of darkness. And at least to me, that like is really validating because it means even you know in our own darkness that that is still something that is worth loving and celebrating and is still something that is divine yeah and I think it's interesting because that feels that feels very like something anyone can relate to right like whether no matter what your religion is or what you believe it's like there's this duality to mankind that even an atheist can believe in, a, a Catholic can believe in, that we have these 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 good and evil sides that we have to balance out and that we have to live with as humans. It's just kind of the the complexity of being of of being and of having yeah. a body and a soul and all of that. Exactly. And I think that, you know, like I there there's a hermetic text called the Kabbalion that has all of these kind of different like occult principles or laws and one of them is the law of polarity and it's it that this has really helped me kind of understand this duality because it's like you know i i think that duality is a great a a great example of this because it's like we in our human minds can think of it as like a, a binary like you're either this or that but what the law of polarity is saying is that you know light and dark are two different ends of the same spectrum yeah there's not really a place where like this is light and this is dark. They have to be in relationship to one another for us to understand it. And I think that thinking of it like that, like there's, you know, it's not just this kind of hard distinction between goddess and God, between dark and light there. It's a, it's a balance a lot like the yin yang, which is, you know, has this, the black side of the yin yang has the little bead of the white and the the white side is a little bead of the black. I think that is like a more, holistic approach to understanding these things because yeah like our world there you know it it is polarized like there are these dualities but that's not something that I think really exists outside of like the human experience if that makes sense yeah absolutely so is this kind of how you're able to um intersect sexuality and witchcraft is like a similar way with like duality and the yin and yang and like two or more people kind of coming together and Um, yeah. So for me, like witchcraft and sexuality, like there, you know, like there's plenty of witches who are ace or who don't practice sex magic. And that is totally fine and totally valid. Like, again, I think witchcraft is, uh, it's not like one thing, right? It's, it's a spiritual path that connects you with 
the cycles of the earth and magic and the cycles of the cosmos and the cycles of self. And it's really about working with energy. So there's a lot of room to create a craft that is uniquely yours, which is something that I think is so important that your practice reflects who you are and what you believe in and what inspires you and your passions. But historically, like, you know, it was mostly women who were accused of being witches and who were persecuted and who were killed. And, um, one of the reasons that, you know, people were accused of being witch witches was because of sexuality, whether that meant that somebody was not married, whether somebody was having too much sex, you know, whether somebody yeah. was perceived as not having any sex, like there's it, it, the history of witchcraft is, is tied in with magic. And the more you really understand, or the more you read about witchcraft, or even like Tantra, or Taoism, like, sexual energy is life force energy it is really yeah. like what we are connected to and even in like kabbalah and hermetic kabbalah or like west the western mystery tradition which is really just like western occultism like this idea of fire of passion of life force is like the highest um, expression of being and for me my work is really tied into both glamour which is like fashion and beauty and casting and or glamour to me is taking okay wait sorry I'm like where my brain is going a million directions <laughs> okay uh glamour is veiling veiling something so I use fashion and makeup and beauty to cast a spell on myself to be seen a certain way to feel a certain way and okay that's very similar to desire and seduction and to the way that we work with sex appeal you know not everybody but like that is something that is definitely part of my practice but for me like the the divine feminine um especially because i work very intimately with goddesses both goddesses of love and dark goddesses like there is an element of sexual energy and a lot of my worship and devotion with the goddess isn't necessarily like even really how I relate sexually to partners. So that is something that I have, you know, done in the past, but it's more so like working with my own sexual energy, honoring my own desires, like allowing myself to explore um, my fetishes and my kinks and my personal taboos as a sacred practice of self-acceptance and self-love and self-lust, which is something that I've been musing on the past few days because um, I realized it's not really something that we talk about to have self-lust. But, yeah. um, you know, like there's plenty of people who don't who work with goddesses who don't work with sex magic or kink. But like just for my own expression and for because creative cr self-expression and glamour and sexual freedom are like very important parts of my magical practice because I use sexual energy as a battery pretty much I use sexual energy to uh, power a lot of my workings and a lot of spells and as I use that as an offering like it's definitely tied up in the like what I share but it's not you know it's not like everything that I share so even right. if you're like yeah it's each of my books has like a sex magic aspect of it because it's something that's very important to me but it's not like if that is something that you feel, you know, alienated from, like, that's not all of the work. 
Right. So it's more about when it comes to sex magic, at least for you, it's more about the inner work and the confidence and the sensuality with yourself that can in turn make sex better or, you know, make sure that you are able to kind of let yourself go and and accept yourself for who you are as a sexual being. Yes, exactly. That is such a concise way of putting it. So thank you. Um, Yeah, I definitely feel that's what it is. And it's also about seeing um, sex and sexuality and my erotic side as like, as an aspect of the divine, as a reflection of the divine feminine that I worship and um, also as like, I work with sex magic as an, uh, both as an offering, um, like energetically and physically, but also to better understand my desires and better be able to claim them and then share them with somebody else. Got it. Okay. And, and another, and another interesting, you said, um, earlier is self-lust, which I've never heard that term before. Yeah, but, I, like, I tweeted about it the other day. I was like, I don't think I've – I'm like, we talk about self-lust, love, but we don't talk about self-lust, so I'm making that a thing. So, yes, I'm. let's make it a thing because it's not something that I've heard either. Well, because it's interesting because when self-love obviously is huge, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. talks about self-love, but for some reason it's like – you can love yourself and you can be like, I'm beautiful in my own skin and and that's lovely and it's amazing. But self-lust and, you know, finding yourself physically and sexually attractive and being, you know, lusting over yourself, it's almost like even though it, maybe that term hasn't been said, it feels like to me uh, society views that, especially when a woman has self-lust as um, – as like overconfidence or being obsessed with yourself. For some reason, it's like self-love is okay. Mm-hmm. But when a woman practices self-lust, all of a sudden it becomes wrong or too much. And I wonder if that kind of goes back to like just the negative connotations that society has with women being sexual beings in general and that even policing all the way down to like, well, you're not even allowed to like want to fuck yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why it's something that's like very much been inspiring me recently because it's like, you know, like we're – women's bodies are commodified and sold and sold back to us. And then when we're like, Hey, you know what? Like, you're right. Like I am sexual. And like, I love this about myself. Like we're punished for it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, yeah, self-love is great, but it's also like, for me, like, I feel like the, like, because the, the sex magic practice that I have is pretty much just something that I do by myself. Um, although like I do have like a, that I she and I like do kind of you know work with kink and stuff as a offering and that's something that we do together but like it's not really like it's sexual but it's not like the same thing quite like my sex magic practice is with myself and that is intentional so I can honor that part of myself and like I kind of think you have to have some self-lust to like want to be that intimate with yourself and to recognize that like your desires are worth exploring and your kinks are worth exploring and like your sexuality isn't something that belongs to anybody else. I think that's a big part of like the self-lust thing for me that it's like, instead of like looking outwards for that kind of validation, which, you know, like we all do and it's totally fine. Like I'm not, you know, I am not slushing by any means. Like I've, you know, we've all been there. Yeah. Um, but I think that idea of self-lust is like, turning to yourself for that sexual validation and like giving yourself permission to like want to be expressed in that way. And um, 
Yeah, I just feel like, you know, like the patriarchy is threatened by powerful men, women. They're threatened by magic and they're threatened by, it's threatened by like this, that the fact that we don't, you know, necessarily need anybody else to have this relationship with the self or the sexuality. And then when you combine all of those, it's like extra scary. Yeah, exactly. So, so with that being said, um, in your dating life, have you found it difficult because of like misconceptions with things like witchcraft or with with you know the the term sex magic? Kind of as somebody who maybe doesn't understand it. Um. Yes. Like it's definitely like I okay. I don't necessarily like put it that out there like on my you know on tinder or hinge or bumble or whatever right but like if you go on my instagram it's pretty obvious like what i'm into and like what yeah. i you know i'm like a whatever I'm a fucking scorpio stallion i'm like i'm both an exhibitionist and like somebody who craves intensity and like everything yeah. um but i honestly like i'm 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 26 i've never had a boyfriend like i've definitely dated and like you know hooked up with dudes but like i have a a high standard and like I haven't met anybody yet who like holds space for me the way that I need it but I definitely feel like yeah I mean honestly like I get more like oh like teach me about witchcraft like can you cast a spell on me are you good witch or bad witch more than I get like shit about sex magic um but like the people that I have like dated understand it but like I mean obviously like because of quarantine, like, I'm single. I'm, like, extra single right now, right. which is, you know, quesada, sada, whatever. Uh, but I feel like as my exploration of, like, sacred kink and sex magic have deepened, I have just, like, higher standards. It's not necessarily something that, like, my partner, my, you know, future boo, whatever, like, needs to like be practicing but like I know that they have to be open and like willing to explore kink for me to like want to be with them or at least to be you know like I don't really know if I'm monogamous or open so like that you know that that will also impact that kind of relationship I'm like I need somebody who's like at least you know like a freak even if they haven't explored it um but I definitely think it's you know just just like being like a confident, successful woman, I feel like is enough to freak out men. So who knows? Right. Well, it's funny because I did an episode last week um, with a girl who uh, is really popular on OnlyFans. She's like in like the top 2%. Amazing. And I, I asked her, I was like, is this something that you like have an issue with when it comes to dating? And she said a similar thing and that she was like, although it can be more difficult and although I get a lot of, you know, ridiculous, stupid mm-hmm. comments and, and intros on dating apps, it's a really good filter for the kind yeah. of people I don't want to be with. Exactly. I totally feel that. You can tell off yeah. the bat, like, oh, this person is just, like, not on my wavelength and, like, yeah. not the kind of person that I want to date anyway. Yeah, and it's like you don't end up wasting our time. And honestly, like, I feel like quarantine has kind of done the same thing for me where it's like, um, you know, I have like was talking to dudes for a couple of days. They're like, hey, you want to come over and smoke? I'm like, we're in the middle of a pandemic that affects your lungs. Like, I don't <laughs> want to do that. I'm like, I'm not even gonna, I don't even reply to them. You know what I mean? Or it's like, people right. are like hey, like, want to hang out? Like, you know, like, it sucks. But at the same time, like, yeah, like, I'm not gonna waste my time. And like, I just I, I yeah, my standards have just kept going up. I'm like, it, you know, like, I feel like there's so much, like, 
societal pressure on romantic relationships as being like the only valid form of like relationships or love when it's like I have like the most amazing friends and like although yeah we don't fuck but like we pretty much go on dates like we'll go to the cemetery and have a picnic or like you know like we'll go buy flowers together like that I just think it's so I think one of the reasons I love sex magic so much and like working with the divine feminine so much is because it has reminded me of like the power of love in forms that aren't just like monogamous romantic relationships. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a big thing we're all learning in quarantine is like Mm -hmm. the kind of people who are like respectful and love you and are there for you and the kind of people that are just not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like for me, my roommate and I have gotten so much closer and it's like little things like that, that it's like, Oh, there's some good out of this for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've definitely, um, I've had I I grew up on the East Coast and I was raised in Georgia and went to school in South Carolina and like I've started talking to like one of my best friends in South Carolina like every single day and like we've started having group chats with like our little coven and um, our FaceTime up or Zoom calls whatever and like yeah it's it's reminded me of like the incredible friendships I I do have which is really validating at a time that's extremely lonely right right. And that's the thing too. It's like a lot of people I think right now, it's like I've made the joke on this podcast about like quarantine cuffing season and like people just like jumping into relationships because we're so incredibly lonely right now. But it's good that you're able to kind of like have like a pack of people to remind you that like you don't necessarily need, like you said, like a monogamous heterosexual relationship to fill that loneliness. Yeah, exactly. And like I just – I'm – like, I love being single. I'm very independent. And like, I rather, you know, like I, I detest being lonely, being lonely, being sad and being bored are like my three least favorite feelings. So yeah, quarantine has not been the most fun. But you know, like, being able to just admit that and like being able to talk about with my friends or my therapist makes it a lot easier because I'm, I'm not about to just like, be with somebody just for the sake of it. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that's kind of like that confidence that you have and that you were able to, you know, cultivate over your, you know, over your adult life is probably a big part of that. It's like the confidence to like not need that I think is really important. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, I guess kind of speaking of confidence a little bit. So do you feel like as somebody who is sexual, who's like not ace, that they can get a lot out of exploring witchcraft in that way? Oh, absolutely. I feel like sexual energy is like the most potent. It's life force energy. I mean, it is literally the energy that creates life. And like, you don't just have to use it to make babies. Like, I don't want kids. At right. least not now. Like, I don't think I want any anytime soon. But like, taking like using that sexual energy and like, creating books or creating like art projects or like even using it to like, f- find inspiration to do collages. Like it is it, I mean, it's like something that obviously can fuel your magic. Like oh, almost all of my spell work works with sexual energy in some way, um, mostly through like masturbation and orgasm, but even right. through like, you know, BDSM, like I I do a lot of um, like needle play or sharps play and like working with that energy and like blood in that way is really powerful. Like obviously it's very, you know, it's not something you just do willy nilly and you need to be careful if you're doing it, but um, even like impact or rope, like there, that energy is, there's so many different ways to work with sexual energy. And I feel like finding a way that 
feels good, even if it's kind of scary at first, is just like, it just like, oh, like turning a faucet on. It is really a powerful expression of divine force, of the divine energy that we all have within us. And I think that's something too that's like very, I always make sure to talk about when I'm talking to se- about sexual energy. It's like we all have an energetic womb, like in the Eastern tradition and yoga tradition or Hindu tradition, we have, you know, the chakras, which are the energy centers that run up the middle of our body through our spine uh-huh. in Western occult tradition, that's called the Miller middle pillar. And like, you know, there is an energy center at the sacral chakra, which is the, or there's an energy center called the sacral chakra, which is like under the belly button, wherever, you know, like near the pelvis. And like, that is an energy center that we all have. And like, that is the energetic womb. That is where we can create and where we can work with this life-giving energy to manifest or to banish or to protect. So I definitely think it's like a worthwhile exploration if you're a witch to to connect with that and also to release shame around connecting with it. Like, I mean, masturbation is still something that's like so stigmatized, especially for women or people with vulvas. Um, And I think that shame is really powerful. It is a really powerful offering and it's a really powerful sacrament that we can use and like finding that confidence in yourself is only going to make you more confident in real life and then more confident in your relationships because like you're familiar with your body, you're already used to the energy and you already have these, you know, personal boundaries around how to use it. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting that you bring up kink and BDSM because I think for a lot of people, that's something that they want to explore but they don't necessarily feel like they have the confidence for it or they kind of like don't know where to start, you know, with themselves and figuring yeah. out exactly what it is they want because it's so stigmatized. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's an interesting kind of like intersect, like subsect of sexuality, I guess, that makes so much sense with everything you're talking about with sex magic. Yeah, and I feel like, like I mean, definitely kink and BDSM, like, I think they're just going to continue to get more mainstream. Yeah. Um, but like witchcraft is... It's the path of the oppressed. Like it is like, every, you know, witchcraft is like, uh, it's the witch has always been marginalized. She's always been on the margins. And like, I think that there's a lot of overlaps, both with like kink and sex magic and magic. And it's, you know, I'm not the first witch to talk about it. Like Gerald Gardner, the founder of Wicca, Alistair Crowley, like all of these people um, were near the power of sexual energy and, I think, again, like exploring your personal taboos or exploring things that, you know, maybe feel like a little bit too out there for you. Like it is an act of magic and it's an act of like self self lust. You're committing to yourself that like you are willing to explore this thing, even though it might feel uncomfortable. And I just feel like, you know, like witchcraft is not a practice for people who like comfort zones. It is something, it is a path of constant transformation and I think that following you know those like deep desires that we might have rejected because like society tells us to is a really powerful way to tap into your magic oh absolutely so the last question that I'd love to end off with is what do you think is the biggest misconception with witchcraft oh this is a good question so I really think it's changing um since I started writing publicly about witchcraft it's probably been like five like six-ish years five or six years and I feel like we have been continuously undergoing a witchcraft renaissance since then but 
I mean, you know, we live in LA, so it's a little bit different, but like as right. somebody who grew up in the Bible Belt and just, you know, as if, if you're not in like either coast, if you're like in the South or even in like the Midwest or like not in the middle of the United States, which is, which is huge. Like I definitely believe that there is a misconception that one, which is our evil, that we are Satanists. And like while satanic witchcraft is a thing that is not true for every witch, um, that we eat babies, that witchcraft is only for like white skinny women. Like I, you know, like it's, it's gone a lot, a lot better. Um, the hood, witch, uh, Brie Luna is a big part of that. She's amazing. And, um, a good, she's one of my, my colleagues I've known, I've known her for a while, but, um, she's a Mexican, uh, she's a black and Mexican witch. And like, she has done a lot to help remind people that witchcraft isn't just something that like European people did, like every single religion, every single culture in the world has had folk magic. And even if they don't necessarily use the word witchcraft, like it is something that is for everybody. Um, the witch can be, oh, that witch that to be a witch you have to be a woman or to be a witch you have to have a vulva and a uterus such bullshit that is such bullshit i don't have time for turf which is like yeah like i i just i don't understand that it makes me really upset because there are still some people who are like trans women aren't witches i'm like what it's so bull it's bullshit and i just i have so much love for the trans community and i think that that is such like cleaning yourself and being honest with yourself and living a life that is true to who you are is like the most magical thing you can do. I mean, even down to the maximum of know thyself. So anybody who says trans people aren't witches or non-binary people aren't witches or men aren't witches can suck a fuck, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think there's just like a lot of stigma just around like the church again, being threatened by powerful women and being threatened by the idea of equality. So I think they're getting less and less each day and each um, each season. I think the witch is coming more into her power that that stigma kind of dies a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even as somebody who's just kind of seen it, you know, more on like in pop culture and social media, mm-hmm. I feel like the difference in the way that it's reacted to and accepted now versus even when I was like in high school or something, yeah. I'm the same, I'm 27. So it's like, is such a big difference in absolutely. the way that it's kind of like accepted and talked about on social media is so much more mm-hmm. um, normalized, I guess now than it was. Absolutely. Back then. Thank God it's fucking time. We need it, especially right now. I'm like, there could not be a better time to like, create a practice for yourself to work with a dark goddess. Like we are in scary times and witchcraft has always been a tool for the marginalized to use, to fight back when they can't with, you know, any physical things like energy is powerful. So I definitely recommend, recommend it to anybody who is, you know, curious or feels drawn to it. Cause there's a reason that you feel curious or drawn. For sure. Well, that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I learned so much on this episode. You asked such beautiful questions. So thank you for the conversation for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'll make sure that your website and anything else is linked in the description below. But thank you again for coming on and I'll talk to you soon. Yes.